worship of him to his word. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to open it to John 3. We're going to be looking at John chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, I'm pretty sure there's one in the chair in front of you. There's even a page number in your bulletin to help you find where we are. Uh, John chapter 3. And we're going to read the first 15 verses. You may be really familiar with John 3.16. Well, we're going to read the passage right before that. So John 3, 1 through 15. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know That you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, you are gracious and good. And as we turn to your holy word this morning, we pray that you would open our eyes, that we might see wondrous things from your word. Move among us, Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here we are in John chapter 3, and it's probably a story that many of you already know. We are often told of the story of Nicodemus, who comes to Jesus by night. And you might remember that uh, he comes, and he's a Pharisee, and and you might remember that he comes and he asks these questions of Jesus. You, You may not recognize that this is the only place in the Bible where we see this story. It's not in the other Gospels. We have four Gospel accounts, and yet here in John 3 is the only time we hear of Nicodemus. And so our familiarity with it doesn't always match what you see, how much of it you see in Scripture. And one reason I believe that's so, one reason we know the story of Nicodemus, that we tell the story of Nicodemus, is because the story of Nicodemus is a story where we see ourselves. And Nicodemus isn't just a character 
in this passage, but we'll see he represents in a way you and me. And that's whether you've been a Christian for decades or whether you are new to the Christian faith. The story of Nicodemus is the story of nearly everyone who comes to Jesus and encounters Jesus Christ. And that's one reason we're so drawn to it, that in the meeting of Jesus and Nicodemus, we find a pattern for how we are to understand Jesus and understand ourselves and understand our world. And in this meeting, meeting, we learn many things, but I'd like to point out just three what I think are powerful and clear truths about encountering Jesus. And specifically, when we look in depth at the story, we see first that Jesus meets with his people. Second, we see that Jesus knows his people. And third, we see that Jesus heals and saves his people. So if you're the note-taking type, those are our three notes for today. That Jesus, oh, have I got, oh, yep, we've got it right up here. Jesus meets with his people, Jesus knows with his people, and Jesus heals and saves his people. So let's begin our time this morning with verse 1 and notice that Jesus meets with Nicodemus. And this, this may seem really obvious. Of course he meets with Nicodemus. That's what the story is about. But we shouldn't rush over it and, and skip over the importance and even the conflict and the challenge of this meeting. Because as we look at the context of John's gospel, we look a little further back in the story, we find that this isn't an ordinary meeting. And there's several reasons why it's not an ordinary meeting. The first is that John doesn't depict Nicodemus as an ordinary person. Rather, John shows Nicodemus as what we call a type or a figure, what you might call a paradigm. And when I say that, he's not making Nicodemus up. This, this story happened. There were eyewitnesses to this account. We'll talk about that in a minute. But rather, John's gospel is written in such a way that when we come to this story, we learn something about human nature. And if you have your Bible, look just a little bit before chapter 3. In chapter 2, we had the wedding at Cana, and then Jesus went in and cleansed the temple. And then at the end of chapter 2, starting in verse 23, we say, when, we see, when Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name. And when they saw the signs that he was doing, or they believed in his names when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. And in this ending of this chapter, John has taken us to this universal truth that Jesus knows all people and he knows what is in mankind, what is in man and what is in woman. And then there's this interesting thing that John does with the language immediately after that. He says, Jesus knows what was in man. And there was a man from the Pharisees, a ruler of the Jews, and his name was Nicodemus. And so we go to this universal idea that Jesus knows what is in all man. And there is a man, and his name was Nicodemus. And let me tell you about him. And in this way, we transition from all men to a man. It's like it's one of those scenes in the movies where the camera zooms in real close. You start far off and you see a big crowd of people and then the camera pans it and immediately you're met with a main character. 
John is taking us to see what is in man so that we might learn truths up close and personal to what's happening. Yes, Nicodemus was a man and this meeting took place, but don't miss how John has arranged these things. We start with all mankind. Jesus knows what is in all mankind. And we zoom in to see that Jesus knows Nicodemus too. And in this way, when we look at the story of Nicodemus, we see a paradigm for how to understand ourselves. And so we also see ourselves. We see our own story in it. What we find is as Jesus meets with Nicodemus, so he meets with us. And as Jesus teaches and instructs Nicodemus, so he teaches and instructs us. So if this meeting is a paradigm for us, an example, what do we learn about meeting Jesus? Well, I think the first thing and probably the most prominent aspect that we learn about meeting Jesus is that there are often challenges to it. John highlights a few of these challenges in our passage today. For one, right off the bat, we see that Nicodemus was a man from the Pharisees. And again, thinking of the context of this gospel, the preceding story, if your Bible has those little headings in it, your, your preceding heading might be that Jesus cleanses the temple. And if you don't remember what that is, that's when Jesus went into the temple and flipped over tables and made a whip of cords and chased out the Pharisees from the temple. And so you had this huge conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees. And now a man from the Pharisees comes to meet Jesus. So when we read about Nicodemus coming to Jesus and asking him questions. We know that there's tension and there's conflict. This isn't an ordinary or an easy meeting. And I think as we reflect on that, we also learn that many of us, we've experienced a type of tension like that before. When we do something that causes conflict or embarrassment, whether it's us or the group that we're in, you might see my family this morning and think, oh, that's a, you know, we're a sweet family and they were really nice. But trust me, there's times where we have embarrassed ourselves and there's times where my children are embarrassed that they have to go to the place where dad has been before. And if you're a parent, you know that there are some times that you're embarrassed when you have to go to the group or the place where you have been a parent before. And I remember there's one time my wife, uh, we, we went to a, a concert, a friend of hers who is a singer-songwriter. He, he put it this way. He, he talked about a time where, where he disappointed someone. And he found himself avoiding this person around town. He didn't want to be around. He didn't want to be. And at one point, he's singing the song. He's doing this really funny way. And he says, oh, hey, there you are, disappointed in me, guy. You know, and, and we, we find ourselves in that spot where we think the other person is disappointed in us because of the conflict that we have and we don't want to go to them. And surely that's where Nicodemus was here. Now, he went to Jesus, but this wasn't an easy meeting. He went in some conflict. And interestingly, the meeting isn't just a challenge because there's conflict. It's not just that Nicodemus was afraid that Jesus might be disappointed in him or might not like him. But we read that John does this interesting thing with language uh, here. And we know, we know, if you know the story of Nicodemus, you know that Nicodemus goes to Jesus at night. And that may not seem like much to you. But one thing that we learn throughout God, uh, John's gospel is that 
This idea of night and darkness and day and light is of eternal importance. And think about the way he began his gospel, if you remember it. Right In the beginning was the word. He talks about the word Jesus being in the beginning. And he says, in him was light and there was no darkness. And you even see it all the way through John's letters. His letters to the church that he writes as an old man. He is talking about people who need to come out of the darkness into the light. And so we have Nicodemus coming to Jesus at night. He's coming It's not just the fact that it happened at night, though it did. He's coming in darkness. He's coming whether that's in the darkness of doubt or the darkness of disbelief or the darkness of fear. He is coming to Jesus in darkness. And he comes at night and we're alerted to the fact that something isn't right. And again, because of John's repeated and intentional use of light and dark, In this and other writings, we can assume that this isn't just that Nicodemus is scared, but there's something else in him and in his circumstances that is off about the way that he's coming to Jesus. John is showing us a man who is in doubt or fear, as we learn later in this passage, who is in disbelief. And again, as we stop and think that Nicodemus and this meeting is a paradigm for us, We realize that this is our own story. Isn't that how we often come to Jesus as well? We come in our doubt and our fear. We come afraid that he's going to be disappointed in us. He's going to be disappointed in maybe the things that we've done and the ways that we've treated people, the ways that we've treated ones that we love. Or maybe even worse, he's going to be disappointed in who we are. And yet, here in John 3, even though we would expect conflict, Even though Nicodemus comes in his doubt and his darkness at night, Jesus meets with him. There's no hesitation from Jesus to meet with Nicodemus. And he does the same for you and me today. When we come to Jesus, even when we come out of the darkness of our own sin, out of the darkness of our disbelief, even the darkness of our fear or doubt, Jesus meets with us. In our Presbyterian world, we often call that our depravity. We come in our depravity. And maybe yours looks like Nicodemus, but maybe it doesn't. But either way, hear the good news this morning that no matter your hesitancy, no matter what you're afraid of, no matter what you think you've done, Jesus is willing to meet with you. When we come to Jesus, whether through prayer whether through reading his word or whether through worship like we're doing this morning, when we come to our Lord, he meets with us. And I pray that would be a powerful remedy for any doubt or any shame that you might feel this morning. Know that Jesus Christ is not afraid to meet with you. He's not standing at a distance waiting for you to get things in order. He's not Mr. Disappointed in you guy that you have to avoid He is willing to meet with you. And as we continue through this story, we see that he's not only willing to meet with you, but that Jesus knows you. And that's our second point today, is that Jesus knows his people. And one of of the remarkable details we see in this passage is how intimately and deeply Jesus knows Nicodemus. And ironically, notice in verse 2, if you have your Bible, look in verse 2, it starts... With Nicodemus telling Jesus what he knows. 
He says, we know that you are a teacher. And then each step in the conversation, Jesus perceives Nicodemus' deeper questions, the deeper intentions that are driving him. And Jesus pushes further and further in what's really going on in Nicodemus' heart and his mind, showing that Jesus is the one who truly knows Nicodemus. See how things progress and escalate through the passage. Right? It starts with verse 2, Nicodemus telling Jesus what he knows. We know you've, you've done these signs. We've, no one can do that if they're not from God. And in verse 3, Jesus pushes a little further and says, you know, it's not about doing signs and miracles, but it's about seeing the kingdom. No one can see this kingdom of God unless they're born again. And so Nicodemus wasn't just interested in signs and miracles, but Jesus knows that Nicodemus was looking for the kingdom of God. And then in verse 5, Jesus pushes further, telling Nicodemus that it's not only about seeing the kingdom, but it's about entering the kingdom. No one can enter into the kingdom unless they have been born again. And in this way, Jesus just keeps going deeper and deeper, ultimately driving Nicodemus to his greatest need and pushing him to consider the life and the healing and the eternal life that he needs. And so Nicodemus thought he was coming to Jesus about one thing, specifically about his teaching and his signs. His learning. He thought he was going to come have a, an academic or a scholarly or a, a very logical conversation. But Jesus drives to his deeper needs because he knows who Nicodemus is. And if you're familiar with John's gospel, you know that this is something that John shows Jesus doing all the time. He did it earlier. He did it in chapter 2 when Jesus' mother Mary comes to him and says, Jesus, they're, they're out of wine at that wedding. And he knows. How, what's his answer to her? He says, it's not my time yet. Because he knows what she's really asking for is, Jesus, I want you to do something about this. I want you to show them who you are and what you can do. But then later in the next chapter, in chapter four, it's a little more explicit. He meets this woman at the well and she gets in a conversation of like, hey, this social thing that's going on is really strange. You're not supposed to you know, ask me to do this for you. And then they have a very short conversation after which she goes out and John says that she told all her friends, come meet a man who told me everything I ever did. And so she is struck with how well Jesus knows her. Jesus doesn't just want to see what's on the outside of, of these people, of his people, and of us. But he perceives our deepest thoughts and our needs. And so he doesn't merely see the, the persona that we put on, what, what we would like people to see, you know, sometimes what we call our false self that we put up for people to interact with, but rather he knows our truest self, our deepest intentions and needs. And I, as I've reflected on this, I thought that's probably partly why it can be difficult for us to go to him. It can be unsettling when we realize the depth of our Lord's knowledge. It is for Nicodemus here. At the end of that conversation in our chapter, Nicodemus' last words are, show that he's totally bewildered. He says, how can these things be? Jesus has rattled Nicodemus, and it can feel like that for you and I when we realize that Jesus knows every bit of our actions and our inner thoughts, of our pride, of our greed, our selfishness, our lust for power or money or beauty, 
Jesus knows all of this. And when we wrestle with the idea that God knows us, that he knows everything that we've done or said or thought, perhaps we feel like Nicodemus and we can have some darkness and hesitancy in coming to Jesus. But as we keep going through this passage, we also see the comfort and the promise that Jesus Christ offers. For though he knows us, and because he knows us, he knows our deepest needs before we ask. And so in his grace and his love, he is not content to leave us in our darkness, but he meets with us and knows us so that he might heal us. And that's our last point this morning, that Jesus heals and saves his people. After meeting with Nicodemus and talking with him just briefly, verses 12 through 15, Jesus cuts to the heart of the matter. And there he says, If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And again, here we see that Jesus is pressing to Nicodemus' greatest need, eternal life, healing and eternal life. And he does that by using a story out of the book of Numbers, one you may or may not be familiar with. But it's a short enough story that's worth me recounting here. It's from Numbers 21, and Israel is in the wilderness, and they're going through the wilderness. And Moses writes there, uh, from Mount Hor, Israel, and this is the children of God, Israel set out by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way and the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of the Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people so that many of the people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he might take away the serpents from us. And so Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. And this story from the book of Israel is a story of salvation, right? And as it's a story of salvation, it's a story. It's again, it's a a paradigm for us to learn from. It's our story of salvation is that the people were wandering in the wilderness and they got impatient about God and they grumbled about what he had provided for them. And I think one of the, I heard some chuckles out here. One of my favorite parts of this is that they say, and we have no food and the food that you gave us is horrible. (laughs) 
And so even in their grumbling, they're lying to themselves and to God about what he's doing. And, and they speak against God. And so God, what does he do? He sends judgment in the form of poisonous snakes in this case. And the judgment leads them to repentance. And so they cry out and they confess, saying that we have sinned against you. Save us. And God, in his mercy, offers them salvation. In this case, by setting up a bronze serpent so that anyone who look at it would live. Well, Jesus, in, in this uh, story that we're in today, in chapter 3 in John's Gospel, Jesus takes us to Numbers because that story in Numbers is the story of Nicodemus. And again, it's our story too. It's the story of our greatest need. Like Israel and like Nicodemus, you and I grumble against our God. We complain Because we want more than he's given us. Again, whether it's we want more money or we want more food or we want more beauty or we want more influence or power. Whatever it is, we complain when we see the lives of others and we see our own lives and we don't like it. So we blame others and we blame God for our shortcomings. And I'm guessing that many of us, we've done it in ways that are similar to Nicodemus where Nicodemus comes to God, and he doesn't come necessarily with a complaint, but he comes to Jesus and tells him what we know. And so we might come to God and tell God, well, you know, God, if you had made my life look this different way, I wouldn't be like this. I wouldn't have done this. Or if you had given me this other thing that I asked you for, maybe, maybe this wouldn't have happened. And so Nicodemus comes and tells Jesus what he knows. And yet... Jesus is the one who truly knows Nicodemus and he knows what he's looking for and he's looking for healing. And we all stand in the place of Israel. We all stand in the place of Nicodemus and we have all lived in darkness and we need the healing that Jesus has to offer. And thanks be to God in his mercy. He offers us healing. So like Israel in the desert, God provides a way. Just like that snake was lifted up, we know that what Jesus is talking about here in John chapter 3, he is talking about himself going to the cross. So that the one who has descended, who has come from heaven, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, might be lifted up and in his sacrifice pay the penalty for all of our grumbling and provide a way for us to have peace With God. In the Old Testament, God had lifted up a serpent on a pole so that that people would be healed. But in the New Testament, Jesus Christ, God himself, is lifted up to suffer and die so that we might be healed and find eternal life. Because what happened in Numbers was only a shadow and a foretaste of what was to come in Jesus Christ. And here in John, we see the beginning of the fulfillment of that promise. Jesus Christ has come to draw all people to himself. Later in this gospel, in chapter 12, Jesus says, And when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. And he draws all people to himself. So this isn't just for the nation of Israel. This isn't just for those who were there in the desert and got to see the bronze serpent. This is for all who hear the call of Jesus Christ. That he is calling you because he is the one who can give you eternal life. 
once again, we see the story of Nicodemus is the story of you and me. My prayer is that we, you and me, might be like Nicodemus. That we might turn from our darkness and turn to Jesus Christ. And he didn't have all the answers. He didn't have it figured out by the end of this passage. Remember, he leaves kind of bewildered. Because faith is often a process and a journey. Coming to Jesus takes time sometimes to understand what he means for us. But we, we're not left in the dark for what that looks like. Because you see Nicodemus two more times in John's Gospel. And so here we have him coming to Jesus at night. Well, then about halfway through the gospel, you see Nicodemus is there with the Pharisees and they're arguing about whether they should kill Jesus. And Nicodemus kind of plays this middle ground. He's like, well, shouldn't shouldn't we hear what what he has to say? Shouldn't we hear from him first? And that's all he says. So he's kind of this mixed character. But then at the end of John's gospel, We see Nicodemus again, and we see that Jesus has brought him from darkness into life because we see Nicodemus there with Joseph of Arimathea taking 75 pounds of spices and and aloe to bury the Lord, to bury his Savior. At the end of this gospel, we see that indeed Nicodemus has been born again. He has been born from the Spirit, and he is following after his Lord. He has become a child of God because his life was forever changed by an encounter with the one who came from above, the one who knew him and knew what he needed most, the one who was willing to meet him even in the darkness, the one who knew what he needed most, and the one who came to save him and offer him eternal life. Oh, that the Lord would do that for us this morning. Would you pray with me? Lord, we give you praise and thanks for your word. God, we thank you that you, though you are the creator of everything that we see and that we know, though that you are Lord over all things, you chose to become like us, to descend from heaven above, to take on our flesh so that you would meet with us. And we give you praise and thanks that you know the very core of our being and that in your mercy and in your grace, you took on not only our flesh, but took on our sin that we might be healed so that anyone who looks to you, who places their faith in you might be healed. God, give us that faith. God, we pray this morning that you would give us the faith to trust and believe that you are who you say you are, that you can do what you have said you can do, and that in you we find eternal life. God, show your mercy and your grace to us, your children, this morning. We pray in the faithful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you stand with me?